This edition of Monocle on Saturday was first broadcast on the 1st of April 2023 on Monocle 24. I'm Georgina Godwin, broadcasting to you live from Midori House here in London. This is Monocle on Saturday. And coming up, we'll have a look through the front pages with the Australian journalist Latika Burke. We'll introduce you to a stunning hotel in Indonesia and... We learned that Michelangelo, far from being the polymathic beacon of the Florentine Renaissance, was in fact merely a tawdry pornographer, really little better than the features editor of Razzle, Hustler or any broadly similar adult interest journal. Monocle's contributing editor Andrew Muller recaps what we learned this week. That's all coming up here in the next 30 minutes. But first, the news. Ten Chinese aircraft crossed the median line of the Taiwan Strait, normally an unofficial barrier between the two sides, Taiwan's defence ministry said today, as Beijing continues its military activities near the island. French President Emmanuel Macron will head to China next week for a rare visit to the rising superpower in an awkward balancing act between his global statesman ambitions and his struggle to contain embarrassing pension protests at home. Germany's military cannot completely fill its existing gaps by 2030, Defence Minister Boris Pistorius was quoted as saying, as Berlin seeks to revamp its armed forces after Russia's invasion of Ukraine following decades of neglect. A new $2.6 billion US military aid package that could include air surveillance radars, anti-tank rockets and fuel trucks for Ukraine's fight against Russia is expected to be announced as soon as Monday. And Wimbledon has lifted its ban on Russian and Belarusian players and will allow them to compete in the grass court Grand Slam this year as neutral athletes in a climb down from the stance it took after Moscow's invasion of Ukraine in 2022. Well, let's have a flick through some of the day's papers now. I'm joined by Latika Burke, who's a journalist with the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. Good morning to you, Latika. Good morning, Georgina. Uh, how are you today? Very well, very well. Preparing for a trip to lovely Venice tomorrow. That's wonderful. Is that business or pleasure? Pleasure, going with some girlfriends. And it's the first time I've ever been to Venice. So I'm, I'm actually quite excited and hopeful, crossing fingers, that mass tourism is not quite back yet. So I might just get lucky and see it a little bit quieter. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's an amazing place, as, you, as we all know. But in fact, the first thing we want to talk about is ChatGPT. Uh, but one of the things you've done is you've asked ChatGPT yes. what to do in Venice. Exactly. So I thought, let, let's ask the AI what I should do. And it started off by saying as an AI language model, Georgina, I don't have access to real-time information about current events or attractions, but I can suggest some general activities and places. Now, number one is take a gondola ride. Number two, visit the Basilica. Number three, visit Doge's Palace. It's all starting to sound just a bit like Google. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, I asked it what Monocle Radio is and tell me that in rhyming couplets. And? 
This is what it says. And this in like, you know, point naught five. The of a speed second. at which it did generate these travel tips yeah. was much faster than Google. This is true. So this is uh, Monocle Radio is a station to hear with programming that's always sincere, from news and culture to music and more. Their shows are never ever a bore. They cover the world with style and grace with reporters from every place, from Tokyo to New York City. Their coverage is always witty. Their hosts are knowledgeable and fun, making sure that listeners won't shun their news. News reports are always fair and their analysis is beyond compare. So if you want a radio that's smart with shows that are sure to import part, tune into Monocle Radio today and listen to what they have to say. I don't think chat GPT is going to be winning any prizes for poetry anytime soon. Well, we found the backers of <laughs> a- open AI. It's Monocle Radio. What was that? Your new your new opening. That's hilarious. Isn't How that wonderful? Funny Take that, that Muller. <laughs> I wonder if you could get Chat GPT to write. A whole program. I actually just I was interviewing the author um, Hanya Yanigahara the other day, uh, and I asked it to um, d- draft me some questions, and it went off and uh, wrote a whole lot of stuff about magic realism. She does not write magic realism. Interesting. <laughs> yes, I have certainly found there's been a lot of people who have. Uh, thought that this will be the end of journalists and take great delight in showing how we might be phased out by uh, the bot. But I had a friend actually on Facebook the other day posting, uh, please chat GTP, write me an op-ed in the style of the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age on AUKUS, which of course is our big defence agreement. And I read this with great and keen interest, wondering if I'd be out of a job by ChatGTP anytime soon. And it was absolute garbage. The way it was written, if that came across an editor's desk, certainly if it came across my desk, we'd spike it in two seconds. So I'm not saying it doesn't mean it won't be refined and better and might put up a good challenge to us in the future. But at the moment, I'm not seeing uh, enough quality control and that human contextual input from chat GTP to do those higher end jobs. Yeah. But Italy wants to ban it. Yes. Yeah, so this is really interesting. Chat GTP is in the news today because Italy has become the first, I guess, Western country to temporarily ban chat GTP. And why it's done this is on the basis of privacy. So it's finding that ChatGTP is hoovering up people's details. And in one case, which in the Financial Times, it uh, has said that it's seen seen documentation to support this. Uh, they claim that some users were finding credit card numbers and expiry dates and um, financial statements and things like that, linking their identities online and being thrown up by the, the bot. So it is very uh, you know, it it is, you know, any ethicist will tell you this is a brave new world that we're entering and we do have to really consider the ethics around how we let these robots go. Uh, for the moment, of course, Italy saying, no way, Jose, will shut it down. That's also really problematic, Georgina, because we know internet bans are pretty fruitless. Um, I was just transiting through Qatar on my way home from the Philippines last week and you can't use Signal, the encrypted messaging app there. So what did I do? I just put on my VPN and could use it fine. So uh, bans on the internet I don't think are necessarily wise because they don't work. But certainly you can see here opening up this conversation now about, okay, well, if AI can do what it can do, how do we regulate this? And how do we even hope as governments and policymakers and society 
to control this. Absolutely. But it does seem that action is, I mean, apart from Italy doing this, there are a lot of people looking at all of the issues surrounding this. There are, although I would argue not soon enough. I don't think AI has been a very, it's it's hard. It's a concept that I don't think many people really want to wrap their heads around and they think that governments will sort it out one way or the other. We're only just tapping into what AI is going to do for us in a, in a very mainstream way. I've got a really good example here of my friend who runs a creative digital agency and went to storyboard a pitch for a client. Now, ordinarily, they would have gotten in a, an, an artist, a painter, to storyboard this up, present it to the client, and off they go if they get approval, and, and then they film and produce that piece of work. Well, the creative lead came to this this person and said, well, I've got this idea of an image in my head. It's a man sitting on steps. He's looking at this angle. He's got a grey beard and, and he's wearing this sort of top. In four seconds, four goes, uh, AI was able to generate that image. And that could have been a whole day's work for an artist. It is really scary where you can see the instant ability to just wipe out jobs here yeah, and, and wipe out a level. Not, I think the high-end human level of, of context will always matter, and I don't think that's getting wiped out soon, but you can really see a hollowing out of, of a workforce here. Mm. Now, if people would like to know a little bit more about this, we did an interview on Meet the Writers a, a, f- a few months ago, I think, uh, with Tom Chivers, who wrote this book, The AI Does Not hate you, superintelligence, rationality, and the race to save the world. And he, he goes into all the pros and cons in that. But of course, because AI is moving so fast, uh, you know, I think we did that probably but six months ago or something. And the, the whole kind of digital landscape has changed in that time. It's quite extraordinary. Yeah, and, and the ability to impact so many fields is just huge. I, I really do not think we have even begun to contemplate just how disruptive this is. And I, I think it's probably equivalent to what the smartphone did for us. I don't think we've seen a tech, tech innovation of this magnitude since then. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's odd looking back now and, and uh, I think you're probably just of the age too where you can remember when we didn't have smartphones or, and didn't have the internet and you look back and you think how on earth did we survive well I expect that our children or our children's children will be thinking the same about AI yeah maybe although I would certainly argue I read a lot more books and I think my mental health was a lot happier than a lot of That's teens true. that I see these days <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's have a soothing break now we'll co- continue with a highlight from Monocle's new travel show which is the concierge so French adventurer and hotelier Eve Ivara is owner of Cap Caroso Hotel on the island of Sumba in Indonesia she's thrown the doors open to the brand new resort exclusively to Monocle to show us what's inside <laughs> Caparoso is, uh, for me, small than a resort. It's really brainchild with my husband. We started the adventure six years ago when we first came to Sumba. And our vision for this place was to drive a sustainable development of this island, but also to introduce a new kind of hospitality where the traveler doesn't need to choose between being mindful and being sustainable in some way, and also have some more hedonistic pleasures. So Cap Carosso is basically the mix of a really wild and authentic destination and such nice lifestyle experiences as refined gastronomy, music, contemporary art. (laughs) 
when we started the resort, we just tried to conceptualize it to ourselves, you know, to guide ourselves through this long journey. We said it's culture, sustainability and community. The community of like-minded travelers that we want to build on Cap Carosso. It is thought that if you are an affluent traveler, you will just want to look for privacy and be on your own and not mix with others. And I think personally that is completely false. Yes, it is the case for some people, but it's mostly not even different people, it's different moments. Of course, you look for some, some sort of relaxation and silence, and there's an enormous playground for that in Sumba. 10 kilometers off the beach, to the left or to the right from us, there is absolutely no one, except maybe some local fishermen. But at the same time, at some other moments of the day, for example, at a dinner, it's pretty boring to dine just with your loved one every single day, every single evening for 10 days, even if you're on a honeymoon. So we wanted to create a place that inspires the conversation. You don't want to talk about your usual life. You want to talk about, you know, the landscape. You want to talk about the tribes. You want to talk about the farm. You want to talk about the future of travel. And this is why I think it would be sad for people to just hold all those thoughts to themselves and not share them and not create some ideas that can maybe one day change the world. We really believe when traveling we don't need to try to be as a local or pretend that we are locals because we will never be. We need to be open to understand what we can learn, to respect the local way of life, but be also honest in the fact that it's our vacation and we also want to treat ourselves in a way which is relevant to us. So during the day you can explore villages, you can take our electric car or a bike and drive yourself to a village and just encounter local people and see the, mon um, the megalithic burials, see wild horses or buffaloes. And then in the evening you can come have an amazing meal by one of our mission chefs, or our executive chef, Anton Levacon, and um, have a cocktail uh, by Nico de Soto, you know, this very famous mixologist. Uh, Nico de Soto traveled with our chef across the island to source and find different ingredients that could really create a local, interesting, unexpected twist in the cocktails. They even integrated the betel nut that uh, local people chew in uh, Southeast Asia. It's a very interesting mix between kind of a Parisian or london type of cocktails. And then at the same time, every time you will find something really local. When we began to really look into what the menus will look like and how we will make our passion for gastronomy and our ambition to create a real gastronomical heaven, we just asked ourselves, you know, where will it all come from? Because obviously most of the things are not available in Sumba and just very simple things like salads, you cannot buy them on, on the market because they don't grow these things locally. So it was either we fly all those things from, from Bali or other islands uh, every day, which sounded like a horrible idea or we grow them ourselves. So this is when we started our farm, a crossing between our love for gastronomy, our wish to be more sustainable and my personal fight against the food waste because food waste from our restaurants will go to our animals on the farm who will produce natural fertilizer. So we, we don't produce meat on the farm but we use animals for the fertilizer.
everywhere in the resort you hear the waves. You always have this rhythm of the waves. We developed a perfume called La Pluie de Carrosso. So actually it's the rain in Carrosso. So this scent, it's going to be in the lobby. It's going to be in every room. And um, the idea is that the Pluie de Carrosso actually lives its own life uh, after, after a while. And that we also sell it outside of the resort because this perfume is actually really, really beautiful. Sumba was eye-opening in a way that we could witness a place where authentic culture is still alive without having kind of a gimmicky cultural experience, you know, without having this uh, fancy costume dinners in a hotel and so on, uh, but really just witness a life which follows its own rhythm, which uh, follows its own traditions, rituals, and which is alive. That's the French adventurer and hotelier, uh, Yves Ivara, who's owner of Cap Caroso Hotel. It sounds absolutely wonderful, doesn't it? I do love Indonesia. It's, I would say, the best place to scuba dive in the world. So I'm kind of itching to get back there. Yeah. Well, that was a little extract from The Concierge, which is our new programme here on Monocle Radio. Now, let's talk about Donald Trump and Stormy Daniels. Georgina, there is absolutely no way you will avoid this story. If even you glimpse inside the window of a, a news agent or a, an off-licence or anything like that, go into the supermarket and scan the front pages. It's Trump, it's Stormy, it's court, it's New York, it's indictment, it's presidential race. It's every single ingredient you would expect from the United States of America. Uh, and a lot of pieces uh, being run this weekend on just who Stormy Daniels is, a lot about her background. Uh, the, my favourite quote of all time that's coming up again and again is she says, she's asked if she's afraid of seeing him in court. She <laughs> says, I've seen him naked. There is no way he can be scarier with his clothes on. <laughs> I think that says it all, doesn't it? My favourite one is uh, a quote from Reuters, which is being carried by many, many newspapers. Daniels, 44, is an author, director and media personality. She launched her own reality TV show, Spooky Babes, in which she searches haunted houses as a paranormal investigator. She once flirted with a US Senate bid as a Democrat turned Republican. I mean... Wow. <laughs> God bless America. Absolutely. But you know what? All good to her. She is absolutely out there batting for what she believes is right. And as she says in some of these pieces, there's nothing that can shame me. My nude pictures are out there. People know this. I have slept with him. Uh, actually, it's time for me to stand up and say something. Yeah. I mean, this is a saga that's now, what, stretched two decades. It's extraordinary and is going to see a president um, being charged with a, a crime. It's It's... Historic, and I think that you, that word certainly got overused during the Trump administration. But, but here we are again—a new historical precedent uh, caused by one woman. Mm. Who, I mean, if you look back to Monica Lewinsky and, and Bill Clinton, I don't think it would have led to something like this in in that same kind of way. You know, yeah. this is she. She literally did use the media. She's used a social media gathering to really. Um, as you say, shamelessly put herself forward and put her case and put her truth forward. Yeah. I mean, so many questions around this. I mean, one of them is, of course, that what he's charged with is little more than a misdemeanour, actually. Uh, it's it's one step up from a parking ticket, basically. 
Yes, so what this, we, we ha- keep in mind we haven't seen the crime yet. We know he's been indicted and Trump is now expected to appear in court on Tuesday. So you can imagine the absolute field day that's about to descend on Lower Manhattan for that if it's not already started. Um, but what this does relate to is the hush money that she was paid when she threatened to go public saying that, yes, she'd had uh, sex with Trump uh, shortly after he married Melania Trump. And that money that was paid to Stormy Daniels via Trump's lawyer was then later reimbursed to Michael Cohen, that's the lawyer, by Trump, who labelled it as legal fees rather than what it actually was being used to pay for. And that's what all of this centres around. In the scale and spectrum of things that people think Trump should be investigated for and is being investigated for in other jurisdictions. This one is certainly on the lower end and the lower order. And that will enable Trump to run this as a political persecution, which he's already doing. Um, There was that incredible report in the New York Times by Maggie Haberman saying he was relishing the idea of doing a perp walk. Uh, He'd get a mug shot. This would be incredible leverage to use during a campaign to show how uh, the deep state was against him. So it could end up politically being counterproductive. Um, And certainly there has been some criticism that this was perhaps an, an indictment that wasn't worth bringing forward. But we shall see how it all transpires. We've got a lot of days ahead of us, I think, of the Trump circus. Um, it will rain again. <laughs> um, I was absolutely astonished by the reaction of various Republicans on Fox News. I mean, there were tears. You were watching Fox News, Georgina? I watched clips of their... <laughs> I'm just interested as, as to whether this was late night viewing or you got up a little early this I morning. Was, I was pointed to it by Twitter and, and somebody's actually put a showreel together of, of all of the reactions of, of various uh, key Republicans and they were so emotional. And this brings us to the broader point, you know, what happens to the GOP primary? Who wins? Does Trump continue his hijacking of, of the GOP, um, can they recover with Trump in the frame, in the scene? Uh, polling, the most recent polling show Trump pulling ahead of Ron DeSantis. So that's kind of concerning for people who thought they could get a, a Trump, but a more stable sort of Trump in with DeSantis. There is so long to go on this road, but it does appear that the Trump spectre is back in full force in, in a way that perhaps we weren't thinking would happen shortly after Biden's election. Yeah. Finally, let's go to the Times, the weekend essay here by Matthew Goodwin. No relation. It is, in fact, a completely different name, you'll note. Um, And the headline is, Liberal elite have captured the conversation. Expect a revolt. Well, I better shut up up then. Are you an elite, Georgina? I would say what they're talking about is people of the left who are educated. Yes, I think this this article captures something that, as a as a non British person, uh, I think lots of people outside Britain would would observe about the UK, which is that it is a very politically correct country in the way that it usually conducts its debates. Um, maybe that's disintegrated somewhat since the Brexit debate, and and you're having a, a few more caustic um, debates. But let me assure you, Australia is is a, a far more caustic country to debate. And as we were just discussing, the US kind of goes where no one else goes. Um, but this essay in, in The Times looks at celebrity. I think celebrity commentary really is what it's hon- homing in on here. And one of the examples it uses is, of course, the example of Gary Lineker, 
the football commentator, um, who I personally think is is one of the most engaging people to follow online, even if you don't agree with him. He's extremely articulate and he's extremely knowledgeable and he's also interested in a lot more than just football. Mm. Now, of course, these views have gotten him into hot water recently, um, but in a battle that he took on the BBC and, and appears to have won, Uh, He was making comments about the government's asylum seeker policy. And this is, of course, the idea of deporting people who come by a boat across the channel from France to Rwanda, a bit of a copy of of Australia's own offshoring system. And this article points out that, well, Lineker got a lot of um, support. We saw all his fellow colleagues boycott the programs in support of Lineker and his right to say this. And... Was that really in step with what mainstream Britain is saying? Well, this article, according to Mr Goodwin, says that only 16% of people in the UK would support uh, Gary Lineker's actual views in, in that context and that they do want uh, boat uh, crossings across the channel stopped and controlled by government. Now, this is very, very similar to what happened in Australia too. There was a huge... Uh, if you read just the media, you would think the whole country was against stopping boats. But actually, if you looked in the community, it was very, very and overwhelmingly high. And I think the same thing is happening here. But this article goes on to claim that there will be a revolt, Hungarian style or some other country, if we don't bridge this divide between what the elites say in the media and what the community is is really thinking That part I'm not so sure about because I think it requires a government that's in touch with the people, even if it's liberal elites can seem a little out of touch sometimes Mm. or perhaps not in agreement or in lockstep with the community. But I'd also argue Britain is is a, this is why so many people like myself come to Britain, it's a country that's so old and capable of having a really robust democratic debate. So... I personally don't see headwinds for a revolt in this country, but uh, maybe I'm out of touch too. Mm. I mean, I, I just think it's really interesting to look at, at, at what's now kind of used as, as a slur when you say somebody is woke. What's the opposite of woke? <laughs> Having empathy? Well, woke is one of these terms that's just basically come to mean you're a lefty and I don't like you and I'm probably right, right? I mean, I think it's a very silly and juvenile term that we're all using now. And personally, I'm not a fan of of these sorts of labels. But yeah, I think think woke, elite, liberal, progressive, all of these terms have become insults. But so too have many um, insults about the right. You know, it's it's very common to see people being labelled as fascists and neocons and all sorts of things that aren't necessarily reflective of, of their entire suite of views either. Mm. I think this piece that throws up a really interesting fact. Had only university graduates voted at the last election, that's the British election, uh, Jeremy Corbyn would currently be Prime Minister. Yeah, and I do think this is... Yeah, part of wider polarisation that's happening right across the West. So in Australia, there's a really interesting stat in the last election that if you just whittled the electorate down to renters, 22% would have voted for the Greens party. And the Greens in the last election in Australia enjoyed an extraordinary result where they were taking out Labor seats and Liberal, and Liberal in Australia is Tory or Conservative, um, never been seen before. And I think that that does come down to the models of of economy that we have. People are not being able to afford their own housing as well. Uh, They don't have the stakes in the economy that that they might have enjoyed. And they're also a lot more conscious of things like climate change than perhaps, dare we say it, the boomers were. Um, So 
I think that this is part of a broader story, a broader fracturing away from mainstream party and loyalty that we've known. But that's also very much related to how the economy is working or not working for people. Absolutely. Latika, thank you so much for coming in today. That is Latika Burke. And we'll be back with you in just a second. Monocle's springy April issue includes our retail survey. Here we rate the retailers, CEOs and shops improving the cities they call home. We tour a New York bookshop that's starting a new chapter and meet the CEO reviving Helsinki's best department store. Elsewhere, we visit a Spanish enclave bordering Morocco, head to the runway for the final Boeing 747 delivery in Washington and hit the dance floor in Barcelona. You'll also find plenty of fashion tips in our annual style survey, plus plenty of travel and hospitality picks to put a spring in your step this season. Order your copy of Monocle's April issue today or subscribe to get instant access online. Now, finally, let's recap what we learned in the last seven days. Here's Monocle's Andrew Muller. We learned this week of the mammoth meatball. This is not, to be clear, simply an unusually large meatball, but a meatball made from mammoth, i.e. the immense hairy creature of that designation, which last plodded the earth some 40 centuries ago. Yeah, probably. The mammoth meatball was created by boffins at an Australian company, which we learned is seeking to make some sort of point about the possibilities of cultivated meat. Hey, g'day, mate. A process which may yet enable us all to eat meat without actually eating meat, thereby making life longer for cows and worth living for vegetarians. We learned, however, that the boffins had cautioned that their meatball was not fit for human consumption, at which point we confessed to being somewhat mystified vis-à-vis the point of the exercise on the basis that IKEA canteens have been serving these for years. We also learned, moving seamlessly along, that the days of takers of wry sidelong looks at the news referring affably to boffins as boffins may be numbered. We learned that the UK's Institute of Physics had issued a call for newspapers to cease referring to them and their ilk as boffins, apparently fearing that the epithet deters young folk from pursuing a career in the sciences. At least we think that was the reason. It was a bit hard to hear them from inside the lockers into which they had been stuffed by the football team. We learned, therefore, that the boffins, clever though they undoubtedly are in some fields, like making fast food out of long-extinct pachyderms, are perhaps proportionately naive in a few others, like, for example, the dynamics of colloquial language, which will simply deploy or devise other terms broadly denoting the same thing, and we look forward to padding out roughly this much of a monologue with basically the same story six months from now when the boffins complain about being called whatever has replaced boffins, like maybe friendly poindexters who should be doing a bit more curing disease and inventing jetpacks that run on water, and a bit less whining about their press coverage. Anyway. 
in Florida. No, don't. No, 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 no. Yes, but what are you going to do? In Florida, we learned that Michelangelo, far from being the polymathic beacon of the Florentine Renaissance as history generally remembers him, was in fact merely a tawdry pornographer, really little better than the features editor of Razzle, Hustler, or any broadly similar adult interest journal. We learned that in Tallahassee, capital of the and finally state, a school principal had been compelled to resign after parents, for which read massive weirdos, complained that their children had been confronted with such filth as Michelangelo's sculpture David and his paintings Creation of Adam and Birth of Venus. This affair was endowed with even greater melancholy swiftly afterwards, with yet another reminder that the same people, and we for one whimsical news monologue would be willing to bet a goodly sum that it is literally exactly the same people, who are so aghast about the prospect of their children being exposed to 16th century sculpture, take a contrastingly zen view of the prospect of their children being exposed to 21st century automatic weapons being legally wielded by maniacs. Here, for example, is Republican Congressman Tim Burchett of Tennessee, the state which has most recently hosted a school shooting, at least as of this recording, etc. It's it's a horrible, horrible situation, and we're not going to fix it. There was a follow-up, from which we learned there was no point in even trying. Do you think there's any role for Congress to play in reaction to this tragedy? Obviously, this is your state now, but it's happened in every other state. Oh, it's happening. It doesn't matter what state it's happening in. It's we're all Americans. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. They all bleed red. They're bleeding a lot. Um, I, I don't see any real role that we do other than mess things up, honestly. Much less depressingly, we did learn of one jurisdiction on this benighted earth where government has apparently solved absolutely all of everybody's problems. The lucky country, we learned, is New Zealand, whose officials are so clearly underemployed that they are dispensing relationship advice to angry teenagers, a demographic famously always receptive to the wisdom of their elders and the instructions of their rulers. Hey, Johnny, what are you rebelling against? What do you got? We learned that New Zealand's government was counselling its heartbroken youth as follows, and we warn listeners that they have only a few seconds to shoehorn on such corrective footwear as is necessary to prevent the irrecoverable curling of one's toes. Breakups suck. But you can channel it for good. From Love Better and Vice. Own the field. We learned, on looking into this further, that this is part of a campaign on which New Zealand intends to spend north of three million quid, which, we learned after running the numbers, is easily enough to buy every single one of the recently binned and actually functional salve in such circumstances, i.e. a George Jones record. Bring it home. For Monocle 24, I'm Andrew Muller. It's been a good year for the roses. 
Many thanks there to Andrew Muller. And that's it for this edition of Monocle on Saturday, which will return at the same time next weekend. Uh, don't forget that we are completely relaunching this week, this coming week. Uh, we're sharpening up our sound. Same great programming. You'll find a lot more music on our playlist and a few little tweaks here and there. So do listen out for that. I'm Georgina Godwin. Much more from me throughout the day. But for now, goodbye and thanks for listening.